Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. My name is Michael Freeman. And I'm Alex Rose. We have some very exciting news and some very exciting stories for you today, including uh, a return from our, can I say favorite guest? I'm going to say favorite guest, uh, Ella Burkowski, uh, who will be chatting with us about Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is coming up. And we're also going to be asking, do Jews really need to worry about the board game Secret Hitler? But before all that, we are joined in studio by our, I'm going to say, second favorite guest. Uh, Sorry, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> He's third. Uh, Noah Liebtag. Hi, everyone. It's me, Noah Liebtag. <laughs> uh, diehard listeners will remember Noah from one of our earlier episodes. I think we were chatting about the, the rocket that did not land on the moon, the Israeli rocket. Um but he's not here to talk about Israeli politics or uh, space disasters this time. Nope. He's here to introduce one of our four new CJN Podcast what? Network shows. There are four new shows. We are announcing all four of them today. One of them will be hosted by Noah. He's in studio here to, uh, to, to join and talk about it. And we will have, throughout the episode, the other three hosts... That's Rebecca Eckler, uh, Avram Rosenzweig, and Dan Aviv. They're going to be introducing their new podcasts to you this episode throughout the show. So stay tuned. You'll hear them introduce their own shows in their own words. Um, unfortunately, we could only get one person in studio today, and it's the guy who works in this office. So, uh, Noah, you get a little extra time to talk about your show. Fantastic. Uh, should I start talking about it now? Yeah, you can start talking about it now. What 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 is uh what's the show that that you're going to be starting with us? Uh, I'm starting a new podcast. It's called United We Snack, and the way the podcast works is I'm going to have on different guests of varying ethnic and cultural backgrounds, and together we are each going to bring to the table a shared snack from our childhood, or just snack from our childhood, and we're going to share it with each other and talk about the snacks. It's going to be a lighthearted and fun podcast. You guys should all check it out if you love snacks if you love judaism if you love learning about people from different walks of life then this is the podcast for you so i know this isn't the first uh snack related show you've done before right uh correct uh this podcast was sort of birthed out of a comedy show concept that i run which is a monthly comedy show called snack time comedy where in various guests that come on the comedy show will pick out snacks for the audience to eat during the show kind of like a wine and cheese pairing check it out the third tuesday of every month at comedy bar so in toronto so why <laughs> why do you use you know snacks as a vehicle for communication because it seems like you know this is becoming a theme why do you what what kind of power do you think they have in this role you're putting that, that that really shifted this to a deep conversation <laughs> well, I, i'm just curious i mean there's clearly something right? no more self-promotion noah now it's time to talk <laughs> philosophy what <laughs> philosophically what, what do you think is the hegelian reasoning behind yeah. that that snacks carry in this modern consumerist world oh the hegelian i love the hegelians you want to get um, into some dialectics <laughs> uh sure uh clearly i don't know what you guys are talking about um <laughs> But uh, that said, food brings people together. I feel like foods and flatulence are the two <laughs> things that are universally appreciated by everyone. It's simple, it's lighthearted, and it brings people together. People like things going in and going out. <laughs> All right. That's well, a little crass for my lighthearted snack podcast, but uh, <laughs> to each their own. Um, uh, I, I, I'll give a little backstory as well, just because I was around during the development of this idea. Um, I remember it was it was brought up, I think, by our editor Yoni, who said, 
didn't he say something to you like, oh, you you run a, a comedy snack show. Why don't you do a podcast about that or something like that? Something like that. He was like, hey, you, do a podcast. And I was like, mm, okay. And we didn't, and, and we were kind of, I was kind of hesitant about just doing a bunch of Jews eating a bunch of bamba and, and you know, chocolate covered matzah and stuff like that. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Is bamba the first episode? Let's uh, we listen to the it. first episode to find out. You but can tease it. Let's just say if you like peanut butter cheesies, this episode may be for you. The first episode. Um, but yeah, so so we uh, we decided to sort of grow it out and expand it out. I'm very excited about this as well because I think it's, it's good for the CJN Podcast Network to not just be Jews talking to other Jews about Jewish stuff. Um, this is a show where we are deliberately, you know, reaching out beyond into the, the network of non-Jews who exist. What? <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it, but I started um, doing research. There's a lot of them. Turns out. Um and and you're a good guy to host it cuz you're you're young, you're hip, you're you're downtowny, attractive, <laughs> sure, <laughs> muscular. Let's not forget that. Of He's course. only saying this cuz uh, it's a podcast and we can't see him. <laughs> yes, I have a face and body for radio. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I was saying. Oh, well that's what I was saying. I was saying we they need to know the truth about you. Oh, the truth about me? Mm, I love me a good snack. <laughs> uh, uh, and we like to have fun. That's what it's all about. And sometimes I think people get too caught up in the daily political and life, political environment and just life stresses that it's nice to have something fun and lighthearted that you don't need to think too hard about. And if it happens to be a hard thinking podcast, then. Buckle up. You can, well, let's tease out a little bit more of the first episode. It's going to be debuting next week. We're going to aim for Thursday, January 30th. You can uh, search for the episode on iTunes, United We Snack, or Spotify, or anywhere you get it. Um, but let's tease out the uh, the episode first a little bit. Noah, who's going to be your first guest? Uh, our first guest is going to be comedian and lovely guy, talented extraordinaire. That's how you introduce people, right? Uh, yeah. Raheel Sheikh. Some of those are words, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Raheel Sheikh, uh, and he will be bringing an Indian snack for us today that we're going to try, something that he liked from his childhood. So looking forward to trying that snack and learning a little bit more about that. Uh, and then I will also be bringing a snack to the table. Should I say what it is? You can, yeah, you can tell our Jewish listeners. Uh, the first episode, big Jewish snack. I might say that this is the. I was going to say penultimate, but that's not the word. I was, this is like the pinnacle of Jewish Israeli snack, <laughs> which is the bumba. Uh, bumba, for those of you that don't know, is well, you'll have to listen to the podcast to find out more. So when the guests come on, do you know what snack they're going to be bringing, or do they surprise you? And you're just like, well, I have to eat this thing. I w am not opposed to the idea of surprises, but in this episode, I do know what the snack is going to be, and it's not a surprise. I just cannot remember how to pronounce it. <laughs> I could tell you what it is because I know what the snack is, but I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but that's okay. Awesome. Raheel will tell us more about it later. Yeah, that sounds, uh, it sounds awesome. It sounds fun. It sounds like a perfect way to pass a breezy 20-minute commute you may have to work, dear listeners. Um, and and also... And also to learn about new snacks to try. Yeah, it's true. If you're if you're in a neighborhood where you have easy access to ethnic snacks, like we are here at Steels and Dufferin, we're in a pretty good location for buying like weird yeah. snacks from around the world. This is the podcast for you. United we snack. We're gonna have original music. We're gonna have comedians. We're gonna have all chewing sorts of sounds. Stuff. There's gonna be lots of chewing sounds. Oh my god! Get ready, I'm ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's our new niche. <laughs> Very exciting. Non-Jews and ASMR. <laughs> really branching out. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Avram Rosenzweig. I'm really excited to announce the launch of a brand new podcast that I'll be doing called Kol Avram, the voice of Avram. Kol Avram is in partnership with the Canadian Jewish News and will be heard on the Canadian Jewish News Podcast Network. I'll be doing what I'm most passionate about on Kol Avram, and that is interviewing people from our community, be it the butcher, the baker, an organizational head, or maybe a regular simple Jew who has something highly inspirational to share with us. There are so many great stories from our community, and I look forward to sharing many of them with you. Stay tuned for more information about Kol Avram in the Canadian Jewish News newspaper, as well as online at cjnews.com. I do hope you enjoy the show. I'm sure you will, and I look forward to sharing it with you. Take care. This coming Monday is International Holocaust Remembrance Day and uh, a very um, desired speaker on the subject is our own Ella Burakowski, who's going to be appearing uh, on CTV News to talk about it. So we wanted to scoop CTV and get her first. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for coming back, Ella. Thanks for having me. Um, It's good to start a a Holocaust segment with a joke. Um, (laughs) You have written a book about the Holocaust. You, you're the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. That's right. Um, I, I would love to just, I, I honestly, I don't know much about it. I know you know a lot about it, and, and it's become a big focus of yours over, over many decades. Um, I don't know much about your, your Holocaust advocacy work. I know you go into schools and things like that. So I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about it, maybe starting with your mother's story very briefly. Yeah. So first of all, I'll just tell you that I'm the daughter of Holocaust survivors, my mother was in hiding with my uh, the rest of her family, most of the rest of her family, for two and a half years in a very small enclosure of a barn in a tiny little farming village in Poland. And my father never actually spoke about the Holocaust. He, um, it wasn't until after he died, and I went to the uh, Holocaust Museum in Washington where I was doing research for Hidden Gold, the book, And uh, the lady there asked me if I would like to look up anybody else. And I said, sure, I'd like to look up my dad. He was already uh, passed away by then. And she pulled up a whole uh, chronological um, itinerary of him in the uh, Holocaust. And he was in the Częstochowa ghetto. And then he was in the Hasag forced labor camp. And eventually he was liberated from the Dachau concentration camp. I knew none of it. It was a secret in my house. Um, Growing up as the daughter of of two Holocaust survivors and my grandmother, who was also living with us, was not easy because you're dealing with an entire family suffering with PTSD. And, uh, but, you know, we always knew that we were a little different because of the way our families acted and how secretive everything was and how our freezer was stuffed with bread and 
how I had to sit sometimes till 11 o'clock at night at the kitchen table look, staring at boiled chicken because I didn't want to eat it. There was no compromise when it came to food. It was um, expensive for them. And um, even at school, you know, we dressed differently. We, had, we looked like immigrants. I mean, there's no question my clothes were sewn instead of bought. Hand-me-downs from my sister. Uh, it was different. It was just a different lifestyle. And I did go to Associated Hebrew School where, um, you know, people paid a good buck to go to that school. We didn't have the money, so we were subsidized. So even there, there was a difference because, you know, they came from different kinds of homes. And then mine was. I was embarrassed to bring them home for birthday parties and stuff like that. You know, my parents slept in the dining room. We shared a room, me and my sister and and uh, my grandmother had a little room in a downtown place downtown at, around St. Clair and Bathurst. But we were all very happy. We knew we were loved. It was just kind of difficult growing up that way. Something that you said about the, the chicken. Um, when I was in university, I took a creative nonfiction class. And there was someone in my class who also, her grandparents were survivors. And she was writing about her family's experience growing up with survivors for parents and grandparents and how I think maybe her parents would, you know, have to hide food in their mouths that they didn't want to eat because they couldn't go to bed if it was still on their plate. It was similar kind of stories and just like the kind of culture around fear and security and food safety. That's exactly like that. right, Alex. I, I did the same. I, I would, sh by the end of the evening when I was like dying, I would shove that chicken in the cheeks of my mouth, make my way to the bathroom and just spit it out. I mean... It was a big deal, and, and at that point, they wanted to go to bed, too, so they just turned the other cheek mm -hmm. and pretended I, I ate it, <laughs> even though I didn't. But, you know, um, and as you say, Hidden Gold, I actually wrote as creative nonfiction because I didn't originally write that book for uh, publication. I wrote it as a memoir for generations of my family to just know what happened, and when I wrote it, I thought I'd better write it at like as a character-driven book because the people who are going to read it, the kids that are going to read it down the road, it's a young adult book, are not going to know any of these survivors. They're not going to mean anything to them. I'll be happy if they even know what the Holocaust is. And that's the biggest fear everybody has. So so what made you want to write the book in the first place and, and do the research and, and go down that road? So my mother died when I was 14 years old before I ever had a chance to know anything about her experience in the Holocaust. So I knew nothing of what she went through or my grandmother. But my uncle, her younger brother, was 12 years old when they were hidden in the barn. And uh, it was very important. He was, the only, he was the only survivor left in our family. And it was very important for him to leave his story to people. Um, and uh, he couldn't really click with any writers or anything that uh, where he was able to get the story. And then one day I, I decided I would take a creative writing course to help me with my column basket, you know, uh, like um, an evening course, right, just to get me out of the house in the winter. Everything I was going to take was full, so I ended up in creative writing. The first story that I did was uh, a dialogue, and I decided that I would do a dialogue that took place in that barn because I knew they were hidden even though I didn't know the whole story. And the, the class, when I read it back, was actually quite fascinated. They didn't know much about the Holocaust 
and they were quite fascinated. So then the teacher asked me to do all the rest of my assignments about that topic, which I did. And and then it started to be like 50 pages and then 100 pages and then it turned into a book and then a couple pe- then I after I finished I put it in the drawer it was done and then I sort of let a couple people read it and they said I think you should have this published I think well it's not so easy just to say I think you should have this published but again I really I have this thing about divine intervention and I kind of believe in it and um I gave that book over to one com- one publishing company only one second story press and I got a call maybe six months after I gave it to them that they wanted to publish the book. And then it went on to win an, an award from the Ontario Library Association. And the, and the schools bought it for their libraries. The schools in, across Ontario bought Hidden Gold to put in their libraries. Many teachers started using it to teach the Holocaust. My sister, who is a retired teacher, wrote a study guide to go with it. And it's a free downloadable study guide. So, and I just came back last a couple of months ago from New Jersey. I met a class in New Jersey at the Auschwitz. Um, there's an Auschwitz exhibit in the in New York City. I met her class, who she had taught the Holocaust through Hidden Gold, and we went through that entire exhibit with that class from New Jersey. Wow, it was really cool. Like that's why I'm saying, like it just snowballed. It. I didn't mean to write a book was an accident. It all happened by accident. I suppose the fact that, you know, it was just such a powerful story that you didn't have to set about, that it, you didn't have to even set an intention in writing it, but it just permeated your whole life in a way that maybe it was bound to come out at some point. It, it's it's true, Alex. It, the story itself is very compelling, as almost every single Holocaust story is. You can't read a Holocaust story where the person who survived didn't have luck or help. They needed both of those things in order to survive. And it doesn't matter if they were in hiding or in a camp. Somebody had to go out of their way and and help them through it. And my story is not any different. It's just, you know, I guess... It just took on a whole a whole life of its own. And, and one thing that I got out of it is I really got to know my mother because she died when I was 14. I didn't really know her. But I actually got to walk in her shoes through the darkest time in her life. And I could, as I was writing, I used to write in, like at 4 in the morning, between 4 and 7 in the morning. And I was writing, I could actually feel her fear and feel her courage and feel her power. I could feel her. I could feel her through my hands, through writing on the keyboard. I didn't write. <laughs> Do you think she she would have wanted her story told and made public like this? That's a very good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question. It's very hard for me to know that. I know it was very important for my uncle, but I grew up in a house that was very secretive. My grandmother and my mother, we weren't allowed to talk to anybody about anything personal. I'm not so sure. I'm really not so sure now that you mention it. But she has no choice. It's time. Yeah, I was going to say, don't, <laughs> don't, don't let is. that stop. Anymore. I didn't realize until just now that your mother had passed away uh, long before you wrote the book. So, I mean, that's pretty interesting that even though this is your mother, you know, one of the people closest to you in your life, that you were still discovering her the way any other researcher of a Holocaust book would. Yes. As, as far as the Holocaust went, she was a stranger to me. I didn't know that side of her. 
I didn't know some of the things that she had done, and I couldn't picture her. She was like the she had blue eyes, and she spoke perfect Polish, and uh, they used her as a f- front person to get from place to place because she didn't have any hint of a Yiddish dialect, and uh, so I didn't ever see her as that kind of a brave. She was my mother. I mean, you know. I'm re- I'm writing an article right now about a new book called 999, which is the first transport to Auschwitz was actually young Slovakian women, um, who Slovakia actually paid for the Germans to take them off their hand. It's you know awful story wow. like all of it is, and I spoke to a daughter of one of the survivors, uh, who's based in Toronto, and she was saying you know she was reading this book, and there are these horrible things these young women went through, and she was just picturing her mother going through it, and it's like you know this is. Uh, maybe late teens, early 20s, young Orthodox women from a small village in Slovakia being stripped and paraded around in front of these Nazis with guns and, you know, taken from their family. And she just had to stop multiple times because, you know, that, that's, that's, that's her mom. She's literally reading about her mom's it's, life. It's, it's horrific. I mean, when you, when you stopped, I had to stop lots of times. And there was one part there where I did have, uh, what's it called when you can't write anymore? Writer's uh, block. Writer's block. Uh, and I had writer's block because I couldn't keep going. I, I, could, I couldn't picture it anymore. I couldn't keep going. And then I just sat down and it, I, I'd stopped writing for about two months at one point. Um, sorry, Alex, I, I was curious. You said there was a survivor from that original thousand-odd women? Multiple survivors. Multiple survivors. And multiple ended up in Toronto. And it would be a daughter Toronto. who's still alive? No, the, the woman's still alive. She's 99. And her daughter and her granddaughters around my age. I I know the the family. That's incredible. Yeah, and there's another 95 year old survivor. A few years ago, um, one of their the sister of the 99 year old woman passed away. Um, but I was actually I interviewed the daughter of the survivor this morning, and she said it's actually the fact that they got to Auschwitz early might have helped them because there were jobs for them to do at the beginning. They weren't just you know trucked away to the gas chambers right away, right. Um, but they. They were useful. That's and, incredible. Yeah. She has to be, uh, I guess, uh, my in my age group, yeah, like yeah. in my 60s. I'm in my 60s. So she has to be around my age. And her mother had to be very young. I mean, the only people that are survivors now were basically children. Yeah. No, like she, in their early teens, maybe, or 12, 13? She, she, I mean, 14. she's, How I think, turning 100 this year. But yeah, she's like just about the oldest cohort left for that reason. Yeah. But these were the young women. They were young unmarried women because I read in an interview with the author that um, they wanted to get rid of the women of childbearing age to, to get rid of the Jews, right? Like that's that was that's it's the final why solution, they isn't first. it? Yeah, that's the final solution. Well, to uh, sort of conclude this subject uh, on on Monday, it is obviously Holocaust International Holocaust Remembrance Day. It is the seventy fifth anniversary so it's going to be something of a bigger deal in the mainstream media i've already seen articles in the globe and mail obviously ctv is doing a, you know this whole broadcast um there's also something happening in jerusalem i'm actually not aware of it what is happening there is a um there's a huge where there's 40 different countries sending representatives most of them are the presidents of the countries um they're going to be at yad vashem and they're going to do a commemoration there um here in Toronto, we have a global event that's happening at the end of May. I think it's the weekend. It, it borderlines the weekend of May, June, 
June 1st, uh, called Liberation 75. It's also global. There will be people coming in from all over, from the United States, from Canada, from, I don't know, everywhere. Um, it's a big education thing. I think uh, schools from all over North America will be attending, and they have speakers and events and all kinds of things. And that's down, I believe, at the Metro Convention Center, also commemorating the 75th anniversary. Well, um, I was sort of joking with you before how just because it's like the 75th, suddenly people care a lot more, whereas last year's, oh, it's just 74. We don't need to remember that much, you know, the Holocaust is fine, but now it's... But, but it is nice to have uh, any excuse, I suppose, to have more fanfare, you know, a, a, a bigger deal, make it more more mainstream and really hammer the message home, particularly these days with, you know, a, an actual rise of neo-Nazism or at least Nazi slogans and swastikas, etc. That's right, Michael. And you know what? The eyewitnesses are going. They're going. There's hardly any left. And once there's gone, they're gone. There's nobody to deny anything. There's, there's nobody to fight those deniers. To they're deny the deniers. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, no, I understand. Yeah, you understand. So... You know, these these eyewitnesses, we have to capitalize every little bit. It's important. Absolutely. It's important because of the world we live in today and what's going on. Well, if people do want to find your book, they can search on Amazon for Hidden Gold. Um, and we'll also have a link up in, uh, in the show notes and on uh, cjnews.com. What's the chosen food? Lux and a schmear. The chosen food? Nachos. Definitely. Chicken soup. What's the chosen food? Well, I'm not really sure. I'm Dr. Dan Aviv. My students call me Doc. And I've always been fascinated by the intersection of food, culture, and learning. It was the core of my research at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. It was the topic of my first book, and the subject of a hands-on class I'll teach for Jewish teens in October 2020. And it's also the theme of this monthly podcast, where I put questions to interesting people and hear some great stories about Jewish food in Canada. Like who makes the best bagel, why Jewish deli is disappearing, and why Toronto seems to be Israel's test kitchen. Oh, and if you have an important question... Drop me a note at chosenfoodpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll see if we can answer it. But in the meantime, when the waiter comes, tell them... I'll have what she's having. All right, so for our final segment on today's episode, we're going to be asking if we need to worry about the game Secret Hitler. Um, some of you might know that in Montreal, the game was pulled from a shop after B'nai B'rith put pressure on it. There were some complaints because the game was called Secret Hitler. So they pulled it. And we wrote a little write-up about it in this week's issue of the CJN. Um, but yeah, do Jews need to worry about the board game Secret Hitler? That's our question for today. How about Noah? What do you think? Noah, you've stuck around since the first segment here. Yes. Uh, I don't think people have to worry so much about that in terms of the things that people need to worry about. Uh, I don't think it's great to have... I, I don't know enough about the nature of the game to know if it glorifies Nazism in any way. And it seems like it is possible that you can sort of be on team fascist versus team liberal in the game. So yeah. as much as I don't love that... I don't necessarily think it's something worth worrying about. I don't 
love the fact that it was made by a Jewish person as some sort of justification because I don't think there should be any glorification of Nazism. And I think just joking about that or even having it as subject matter is definitely dicey territory, but maybe that's what the creator wanted to do with the game. Yeah, I mean, there's also no shortage of of jokey Hitler representations. And I mean, Jojo Rabbit uh, is nominated for Best Picture. I mean, you have it in TV shows. We talked about one of them, uh, the... And Frank historical roast. The, yep, there's another one where Gilbert Gottfried played uh, uh, Hitler. Two was on that episode too. That's right <laughs> of, of the podcast, not 20, the <laughs> Netflix series. Um, 2019 was a great year for Jews playing Hitler, Taika Waikiki and uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Um, and also, you know, the designer of the game, Max Temkin. He's one of the designers of Secret Hitler and Cards Against Humanity. So he's made a lot of money off like this irreverent style of humor. And he's Jewish. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's the Jewish one. Yeah. I I don't think any of these games are so oh, these this game or the TV show The Roast of Hitler are things that last in our cultural zeitgeist for more than a week these days no, anyway I think you're right. which is why I don't think it's worth worrying about I mean I think like anything it has the potential to be worrisome if it grows into a beast that is bigger than the thing itself like I if, don't think like if neo nazis start marching down the streets like you know, pushing the the board game up and chanting, <laughs> yes, and screaming. We exactly. like this game and buying it in droves and stuff. Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. Uh, something that we have in the write up here. Uh, I'm just going to read a quote that's that's in the article in this week's issue of the Canadian Jewish News. While not condemning the game as anti-Semitic, which has been on the market worldwide since 2016, B'nai B'rit Regional Director Harvey Levine said, quote, This is a sensitive issue with the Jewish population and with families of those affected by the Holocaust, unquote, especially so in the wake of recent violent and anti-Semitic incidents. Ella, you are of a family directly affected by the Holocaust. Um, is would if you saw this game in a board game cafe, would you be would you be alarmed? Would you be offended or affected in any way? I think I would pick it up and I think I would look at it. But very much like that roast that I was so upset about until I actually watched it. Um, I don't know enough about this board game, but if it creates a dialogue and if it works for getting a younger generation involved in wanting to know more about what Hitler did and what the Nazis did, then I don't, I'm okay with it. I mean, it's not my idea of a perfect way to educate the world, but it's not my place. I don't know what young people do these days. And just like that roast, that roast, when, when you talked about it, it, was, it sounded horrendous, but after I watched it, I thought, you know what, it wasn't so bad. And if it's going to get a few people watching and listening and maybe wondering about the Holocaust, then I think it's worth a shot. That is the stated intention uh, in a quote from, from Max Temkin, one of the, the game's designer. Uh, it says, he again, quoting the article, there was no attempt to trivialize Hitler or the Holocaust. On the contrary, the creators claim the goal is to raise awareness of the dangers of fascism. I also feel like that's kind of an easy out hmm. when the game makes no statement one way or the other, when you're playing as both liberals and fascists. Like, I mean, I guess you, the conceit depends on the fact that you know Hitler's the ultimate bad guy. Well, but, but you're playing as them. You know what's interesting about that argument? We take that for granted. And there are, I mean, there are people out there who disagree with that. Like who would who who would look at you know Hitler's versus fasc uh, fascists versus liberals and be like oh yeah the fascists like they're the good guys and they should have won. 
Yeah. And if it and it, and there's the argument that if if the game does not make explicit that one is the good team and one is the bad team, then like the then the, if it's open to interpretation, then bad guys can interpret it. I mean, like neo-Nazi bad guys today can interpret it any way they want. I mean, yeah, I don't, but I don't know, like. Like realistically, how many neo Nazis are going to this game shop and buying this board game well, just also, to play yeah, Hitler for to like ten the minutes? Yeah, probably not. Vast majority <laughs> of the population who thinks fascists are bad and Hitler is bad, but doesn't really know anything beyond that, and might be inclined to learn more about the game. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I just I don't want to like make every decision or consideration with like the worst fringe elements of society in mind. You know, yeah. you have to be aware of them, but I don't think like. They already can rally around their much worse things if they need something to rally around. I don't think it's going to be this board game. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I, I think there's a general consensus that we don't need to worry about Secret Hitler, but it it was a surprisingly uh, prominent little story online and, and made it in the paper, and so we wanted yeah. to address it at least. I actually commented on Facebook on the article on our like on our cj and facebook page which i almost never do but someone said it was just like evidence of like more vile jew hatred in the world and that just like you could say it's in really poor taste and the game shouldn't exist and i won't have a problem with that right like everyone's um entitled to their own opinions about what they're sensitive to and stuff but if you, if we can't see the difference between poor taste and and anti-semitism i mean I don't know. That's what upsets me. I just told them, like, you know, I know Jewish people who own it. It was made by a Jewish person. You might, like, despise everything it stands for, but that doesn't mean it's anti-Semitic. Yeah. When, I also I agree with that. If we throw out the term anti-Semitic too often, we accuse too many things of being anti-Semitic, then it starts to be boy who cried wolf, boy who cried wolf, right? Like, it's, it, it, it starts to lose its meaning. I, I agree with what you said about the anti-Semitism. You have to call out anti-Semitism when it's really anti-Semitism because it's we don't have to go looking for it. It's out there and there's lots of it. You don't have to find it. it, it you know, you don't have to go looking for it. Yeah, and that's the reason to be more discerning, not less. Exactly. Yeah, I don't picture people using this as the tool to rally for anti-Semitism. Like Alex said, there's plenty of other things people can use as tools of hatred. I don't foresee this game being one of them. But hey, we'll see. I do feel like there are uh, there's, there's four of us. I kind of wish we had brought a copy yeah. of the board game in, and we could just play it right now, live on the podcast. <laughs> Who's going to be the fascist? <laughs> We're going to have to draw straws. Okay, well, thanks so much for our two uh, two guests for joining us, uh, Noah Liebtag and Ella Burkowski. A pleasure, as always. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hi, my name is Rebecca Eckler, and I'm an author and writer and editor of SavvyMom.ca. I love nothing more than gossiping with bubbies. They are just so interesting and definitely, in my opinion, should be celebrated. They are also just so cute to listen to, and they have some very entertaining stories and advice because most bubbies, as we know, have no filter. That's why I'm thrilled to be hosting Bubbies and Bagels, Brought to you by United Bakers and the CJN Podcast Network. Every month, I'll be sitting down, chatting, gossiping, and sharing a meal with a bubby who deserves to be highlighted and celebrated for their contributions in the community. Our bubbies will finally have the opportunity to share their personal history, how they keep up their zest for life, their best advice, and finally have the opportunity to proudly brag about their grandchildren. Most of all, they get to share what it's really like to be a bubby in this modern age. So hold up that bagel and let's celebrate bubbies everywhere. 
That is it for today's episode of the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. Thanks so much to our four new podcast hosts who are uh, joining the network and took the time to record some little intros for us. You can subscribe to those shows uh, this week. I'm going to get those up on uh, on iTunes and Spotify. We're going to we're going to have links to all of that hopefully in the show notes. Um, so that is once again Rebecca Eckler doing boobies and bagels. That's Noah Liebtag doing United We Snack. Avram Rosenzweig, Cole Avram, and Dan Aviv doing The Chosen Food. CJN Podcast Network growing by 200% this year. It's oof. It's a lot. I'm excited though. As Very the executive exciting. producer, are you regretting past Michael's decisions to <laughs> to expand so rapidly? You know what? You you move fast and break things. That's the Facebook <laughs> model, right? So move fast and uh, break <laughs> break my bones. That's what we'll do. As for this show, I do edit and produce this one as well. My name is Michael Freeman. My co-host here is Alex Rose. Hey there. Our intro music is by Vanya Zhuk. Our outro music is by Lache Swing. David Collin is the dog groomer of our new office dog. We actually do have a new office dog. That's not a lie. A little puppy named Coco, and she's adorable. She's our editor, Yoni's. I think they adopted her. She's a black labradoodle. And I don't know if you... I'm, I'm already gushing because she just, like, comes up to everyone's desk. The song's not running this yeah, long, Alex. Okay, I'm sorry. cutting you off. But if you do want to see pictures of Coco and links to everything, you can find it at cjnews.com. You can also find it at our Twitter, at CJN Podcast. And on Facebook, we are the CJN Podcast Network. As always, please subscribe and review and leave us comments and let me know what you think. And you know what? If you want to start a podcast... I guess we're just taking submissions, <laughs> so shoot me an email. You get a podcast. You get a podcast. Everyone gets a Jewish podcast. Mframen at the cjn.ca. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy the new shows. See you next time. <laughs>